This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Sana Foley is one of the creators of Hellscape, a supernatural roller derby zombie comic that's on its way to becoming a film. The first issue was just released a couple months ago, and you can find it at art shows, roller derby bouts, and online at hellscape.io. There's like a big backstory here. Will you take me back to the very beginning of... The idea? The concept? Um, Yeah, so I came up with the idea for Hellscape in... I think it was the end of 2008. So it was right up as I was getting out of roller derby and starting my like acting mm-hmm. adventure. That's the whole that's the whole reason for it existing is I want to turn it into a film. So that's still the goal. It's oh. just I decided in the last couple of years let's flip-flop and do the comic book series first. It is based off the script. Mm-hmm. Um and that will just help build my IP, make yeah. that stronger, more valuable to when I do go to potential investors or whatnot. Mm. Um, and then also just like build up the community. So. But so you're doing roller derby and you just kind of start getting this idea and you start writing a script. Is that what it was? Well, it was more, it was more had to do with the, I was getting burned out on roller derby. Clearly I'm not sick of it cause I love it, but I was getting burned out. So I knew that that was my last season and I had just happened to start taking acting classes. And I had worked on the first couple films. The first film I worked on was done here in Ogden. It was a little horror film. And it was so much fun. And so that's really, it was more like the film experience I was going through at the time that that made me think, I want to make a horror movie. But what? Like, I'm not like this huge horror film fan, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then I realized like, oh... Well, this is pretty obvious. <laughs> so did you make like a, a short film or you had some kind of footage for it, didn't you? Like, I feel like I went to... We, you know, I did a, um, I did a, like a, a one minute kind of a montage like a teaser. Uh-huh. It was just, it was more of like, like a, it's kind of a flavor teaser, you mm-hmm. know? Um, it wasn't what I wanted at the time. It was, it was really kind of run and gun. And we, there was a deadline that I was going to be on a TV make a TV appearance and they wanted um, a visual. Right. And so I, I scrambled to try to put something together. And of course, things always like drop out at the last minute. So you're scrambling to like go to plan B, C, D. Um, so, you know, it was fine for at the time. Uh-huh. But I I think I've taken it down everywhere online. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> Um, and so can we, can we talk about roller derby for a minute? Cause I'm of actually, I'm, we can talk about it all day long. I'm kind of a roller. I don't know if you knew I was a roller derby announcer, like in 2006. You know what? I just forgot that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. And so I, the business end and the, the sustainability of leagues is really interesting to me. Like I knew those guys, it was Junction City, no, Davis Derby Dames back then. That was way back in the day. So that was, Yeah. Yeah. And and then, yeah, they kind of, I think they had whatever happened and they kind of split off mm-hmm. into a few leagues. And now there's a few leagues, but they all kind of work together. Is that? So Davis, Davis eventually became what is now Junction City. So Salt City was the first one. That's who I played with. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah, they're um, like the big one. Yeah. yeah. And they're defunct now, oh. but which is a bummer. Um, but now you have Wasatch Roller Derby in Salt Lake. You have um, the Beehive Skate Revolution, which is like the recreation league. So it's not a competitive league. And then you have the happy Valley 
Derby Darlings down in Provo. Right. There's a junior league, the Wasatch Junior Rollers. Hmm. And they do, I th- I thought it was age six, but it might be age eight and up. Hmm. Maybe it's five. It's young. It's They're tiny. And um, then you have Uinta Madness, which I think when they started, it was a men's roller derby league only. And then as everything's really? kind of, yeah, everything's kind of morphed. Like they're now, I think they're mostly co-ed. Yeah, a lot of leagues now are co-ed or they have like a men's offshoot. Huh. I've never seen that. That honestly seems kind of weird to me. That doesn't, I don't know. I will say when I was still skating with Salt City, um, our we did a scrimmage one night for fun with the refs. Uh-huh. And that was, I don't know if they were just, felt like they have something to prove because <laughs> they'd seen us play for so long. Um but yeah, I was like that. That that uh, that was a little that was a little rough, you know. Yeah. But fun. Well, yeah, fun. like just a guy skating up and knocking a woman over seems a little. Well, it, but you know what? It, when you're on skates, it's it's kind of a level field. And uh, and last night we did see one of the players in the co-ed game. Uh, you know, he's not a small guy by any means, and. I saw a really skinny, smaller skater just knock him on his ass. Really? Yeah. So it's wheels change the game. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. Um, But so like you, are you still doing some kind of roller derby? You're involved somehow? I'm not just, uh, just a big supporter. And uh, um, like I try to support Junction City as much as possible. Uh And, um, you know, just by promoting Hellskate. Mm-hmm. I see, you know. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be pretty, yeah. Yeah. Just exposed to all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So, at what point did you decide that the comic was the way to go with Hellskate? When we did the first Salt Lake Comic Convention, when it was like, when they could name it that, mm-hmm. uh, back in 2013, Carl Hoglar, who's uh, my co-writer and writer, he he was the one that suggested, let's do like a little short teaser comic book to help like just market it while we're at comic-con because we don't really have anything else to really talk about Mm -hmm. so it was really like that kind of brilliant idea that we just never we never let go of and then back like 2015 uh chris and i started working on an issue like the first issue again like the full issue Mm -hmm. but i had a breakthrough in the script and so the script was changing characters were changing so i was like Halt the brakes. And then, um, you know, just more years go by as you're just busy doing other things or things aren't coming together. I was always work at, there was not a day that's gone by since like 2008. I have not thought about or worked on this thing, mm-hmm. but, um, but I'm sure everybody else is like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, and so is the story of this like a prequel to the movie story? The issue that just came out is actually like the first kind of act mm. of the film script. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so this uh, Carl, it's Carl Joglar? Hoglar. Hoglar. Um, he kind of helped you with the script? Yeah. Yeah. So, th- oh my gosh. Um Looking back, you can see like all the things you've done wrong, of course. Uh-huh. But um, we, so he was the very first one I talked to about Hellskate, like very first one. So I had done kind of a, I don't know if it was like a half a script or it was a, a, at least a treatment. So it was at least like, you know, a bunch of pages of like the, the initial story. Uh-huh. 
is completely not the same story anymore. Like nobody will ever see those first, <laughs> first 12, 15, 20 drafts. But uh, he was the one that I first sat down with and fleshed out like a, a full script. Um, and then it just, it was never, it never felt quite right to me. Like there was always something a little off in the energy or the character vibes or, you know, and so I would go to a different writer. They'd take a pass at it. I'd go back to Carl, rework. I'd pull out what I loved that they did, what they uh, contributed, and then leave whatever didn't work. Uh-huh. Um, and I did that like five times. I'm, I mean, I. it's kind of messy, but uh-huh. look, in TV, they've got like, you know, 10, 12, what, how many writers yeah, on right. one show? <laughs> yeah. So I shouldn't feel so bad about it. But um, yeah, so it's really like a, a culmination of, a lot of people's, um, you know, creativity. Yeah. And I just pulled like my favorite little pieces and then I ended up writing um, some of it as well. But it always, I always bring it back to Carl and uh, and polish it up with him. Mm. So. And so what's kind of like the elevator pitch of the story? Like what is the story of Hellscape? Uh, it's basically a uh, roller derby girl becomes possessed by a demon on Halloween night. Okay. That's, that's the short, it's the short spiel that i'm giving people at all these events Uh (laughs) my voice is still a little tired but (laughs) yeah so essentially it's a a fresh meat derby skater who's um you know probably a little quirky not so like socially accepted um who's been bullied but she has her idol in 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 her team and uh the idol is very dismissive of her and so she you know she's kind of pushed to the brink and and uh Goes to place a spell on her, but it backfires and she accidentally summons a demon. Okay. And is it, um, like, was it always meant to have that humor in it or was it always Mm -hmm. like a gory kind of thing? Yeah, I think originally, I think it was much darker and more, yeah, it was definitely much more like occult and darker, Uh not as much humor sprinkled in and it's just evolved. It's really, really evolved. I mean, this, the storyline and the characters, it sounds so hokey, but like it really does. Like it was always telling me for, you know, this last 12 years or whatever, like Mm-mm, not, I'm not ready yet. Like this is, I don't like where you're pushing me. And if I just sit with it and, uh, you know, just kind of let the creative juices simmer then the characters are like, they've kind of spoken out and just been like, nope, this is who we are. This is where we're going. So, I mean, you know, on one hand, I'm like, this is just like a little silly horror popcorn movie, you know? And Uh it's like, it's just supposed to be fun. But, you know, you still have those, you still have that like kind of, you know, yes, the characters are speaking to me, (laughs) you know? Well, and it is, it's very character driven. Like you kind of have these, all Mm -hmm. these very specific, you know, female characters. Yeah. You've you've got a lot of well-defined characters and it kind of uh, makes the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it is mostly women characters or, um, or non-binary or, um, but you know, there's, there's the men and, 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 I love men. Like I grew up with brothers. I'm married to a man, but, uh, and some of my best friends are men, but like, you know, y'all have had your chance over and over and over again. So yeah, I'm just like stacking this full of women as much as possible. Uh huh. So that's fun. Well, and I mean, I don't know. Tell me what you think about me even saying this, but like it does, 
up the sexiness factor, like the sex appeal of the story. You know what I mean? It's unavoidable, I think. Yeah. Um, I've gone back and forth about, because I think originally it was, it was definitely had more sexy edge to it. And the first and only photo shoot we've done um, was definitely more, I, you know, we played with that, you know, sex sells uh-huh. and look, it's a business, you know, and you have to market and you have to like get the eyes on it. Um, and I don't really have a problem with it as long as it's like from the perspective of the female gaze. Um, but sometimes I wonder like, okay, am I just getting caught up in like what society has raised me mm. to think is supposed to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to like deconstruct like how I've been brought up in this world in a society that places, you know, big tits and ass yeah, like, yeah. at the forefront. But then again, it's like, well, yeah, it's hard to define that. Like there's that you'll take it to a certain point where it's like, we're having fun or whatever, but we're not like going past that. And then I don't know, being yeah. explicit or you yeah, know, yeah, being gratuitous and in, in, you know, Right, yeah. Like, I think, um, I mean, I've had people ask over the years, oh, is there going to be nudity in this? I'm like, there's not, there, there's no reason. Like, wh- there's no reason just to throw, like, it's not an 80s movie where you're just like, tits right. everywhere all of a sudden. <laughs> right. So talk about, how did Chris Bodily get involved? I met Chris um, when, let's see, I'd seen, he used to work, he used to like collaborate with, this couple who ran an art gallery in the Leighton Hills Mall. And I had been in there, I'd seen his art, and I asked the, I'm so forgetting who she was, I'm so sorry, because I really liked her, but um, that's how I kind of got to know his name. And then he was doing like a show of his own at um, a restaurant somewhere around here. And so I said, Carl, let's let's go like meet this artist. You know, I really, I love his stuff. I just want to go meet this artist. And, um, so that's how that, that's how we met. And then I, I think I originally hired him to do a couple pieces for, um, an anti-captivity, anti-seaworld, anti-marine park, uh, protest that I was hosting in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. It's part of like the empty the tanks worldwide, uh, protest. Mm -hmm. And so I had hired him to do a couple pieces for that and it went well. And so Carl and I approached him to do the the little short teaser comic. So, hmm. and that was that was that. It, it's uh, so it, like you can. I feel like it's got a lot of Chris's style in it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's a pretty like defining visual style, I think. And so, um, like I'm just kind of curious, like what it was like to sort of start seeing this stuff on the page and start seeing it kind of in this style. Like, uh, how did all of that feel? Well, it was good. I mean, I I loved his style. I love his style. Yeah. So that was definitely something that I felt, um, I felt that I wanted mm. for my brand. You know, yeah. like I loved the look of it. I felt like it just kind of matched, um, just kind of matched the vibe mm-hmm. that I was going for, and it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot, I I, there's so much comic book art that that you know, it's like oh, that's a comic book superhero character. You know, it's very, it's, it's a style, right? Mm-hmm. That's very uh, familiar. And I just wanted to kind of deviate away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, you know, and I'm, I'm always about showcasing artists that I, that, I, that I love and that I want more people to get to know and get their eyes on. 
Um, I'm always about that. Uh-huh. So that was another important piece for me was um, really just showing as many people as possible like Chris's work. And so what was that collaboration like? Like, did you guys kind of script out the the comic first and then kind of give it to him? And oh, yeah, it was it was very, very planned out. Uh It was very, very planned out. So um, I had done a first draft of the first issue, you know, panel by panel and then um, pass it off to Carl because Carl's of all of us. He's like the comic guy. Um, so you're planning the panels. Oh yeah, you yeah. got yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah. It's 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 hard, and it's you don't just like turn it loose to somebody because <laughs> it could just be a shit show. Yeah. Um. So then Carl went through and tightened it up, and um. But yeah. so are, are you like drawing st- like stick figures? I'm drawing stick figures. Shadowy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then when Carl gets it he he's actually like i would draw stick figures for myself mm-hmm. and then and then you write the script out so like per panel you're describing what goes in each panel like any dialogue bubbles you know mm-hmm. and so carl went through and then it's more of like a script like yeah. at that point like we don't really hand off there was a few times i handed stick figure stuff to chris and apologized profusely <laughs> but um but for the most part he's just he's just getting like the full script. It's like this panel, this person saying this thing yes. kind of deal. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um because I mean this is also well no, I should ask. Like so does it feel like a lot of this was creating the storyboards for what would you know be in the movie? I mean somewhat. But there's so much I mean the comic book is such a truncated version of the script. Uh-huh. So you're missing a lot of what's actually in, you know, in the full, in the full feature film. Yeah. Um, which was why I originally wanted to do it the other way, yeah. you know, have the movie and then base, you know, all the characters, what they look like. But, um, so I think what this, what I have found is that doing it the reverse, this has actually shown me, okay, here's some things that I want to change or tighten up or maybe do a little differently than I thought before. Uh-huh. So this is like a good test run also, like for me to hopefully make the film script even better and tighter. Yeah. So. Well, that was the thing I was wondering, like did the, you know, creation of the comic book, did that process uh, inform the story? Like I was wondering if all of those female characters were kind of so well-defined, particularly like visually defined, I would guess they didn't have a lot of that definition before the, the you know comic book writing yeah. process. So I was very. I tell Chris what I want. Like this is <laughs> what they're gonna look like, down to their makeup. You know, like their body types, and and a lot of it, like, um, you know, sometimes well, he would have started with a character, and then I'm like, is it too late? Like, can we go back and like change this person X Y Z? But yeah, I would I would create like just lookbooks for him, and I would pull like pictures from the web. You know, like this is the outfit, this is what they're gonna wear in this scene, and this is what they're gonna. These are the skates and the the, you know everything. I put it all together and sent that over to him. So, but the characters themselves, like they've changed. Like they weren't always all female. So that was. Um, and the film will be a little more, uh, 
one character focused rather than like this ensemble piece. Mm. Um, but yeah, like the 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 love story aspect of it was not always two women. Um, that was something that was one of the final pieces of the of the story telling me like, look, idiot, this is not this is not who we are. We want to be this. Yeah. And so that really helped solidify the storyline for me a lot. Huh. How long did it take kind of from we're going to start putting together the comic to where we're printing it? Um, a lot longer than it was supposed to and what I had planned. So um, we we started work on it. Well, script was given to the artist in May of 2022 uh, with the intention of having, hopefully, like doing a mad dash and having that first issue done for FanX of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And I mean, Chris's expertise in kind of getting all that stuff done, I'm assuming that was pretty helpful in like the the producing of an actual physical comic. I mean, he definitely, like with his, like the first Hellscape comic was the first one he'd ever done. And I think that was a really great learning experience for all of us. And then he's since like done a ton of work with his own series. Oh, I see. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it was very collaborative, I would say. Hmm. And so... Yeah, talk to me about like promoting it now. Like I know you were just at FanX for yeah. the whole weekend. <laughs> um, like how's all that going? Yeah, it's good. It's it's I knew I knew as this was coming at like I knew that this would be the season because you know, we, I sent it to the printer and then um I knew that the the issues were like we were late on getting there was, you know, there was some some holdups. And so I had to expedite some some of the order uh, to get here for these events I'd already prepaid for in August. And um, they got here three days before my first event. And wow. I was like, just shit in my pants, man. Because I was like, God, if they don't get here, I don't know what I'm going to do. And um, so, yeah, so I knew that this whole season was going to be really busy for me, which, yeah. you know, I was I was really excited for and I love doing it. Um, but like... You know, 12 years ago, I was like, could bounce right back. Not yeah. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is now. You're yeah. just like thinking about going out and you're like, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it takes a lot more out of you, but it's so rewarding to get out and meet people and talk about it and finally have a, a product that, you know, showcases a local artist, you know, and a local writer and then... um you know what I eventually want to make this into. Like it's it's really fun. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, you really went all out with like the stuff. Like you did the comic, but then you also did buttons and stickers <laughs> and just all kinds merch, of merch, cool man. Yeah, yeah, people love the merch, and of course, people are always like coming with suggestions of, oh, you should sell this and you should sell this, and when are you gonna have shirts? I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> do you know how expensive all this stuff is? So, yeah. um, I'm working on getting shirts and more hats and stuff like that. Um, I definitely have like Bibles and Bibles of ideas and things I want to do, but uh-huh. you know, it's just baby steps at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is an idea that you've been thinking about for like 12 years, like you say, mm-hmm. uh, and you're finally, this is kind of the first that a lot of people are like finally getting to see this idea. Right. So how yeah. has that been? Has it been nice to actually 
Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. And then I think the my favorite part is, I mean, when you see their reaction, so they come up to the booth, you know, and then they're looking and the art like draws them in. And then they, then they're like, what is this? And I say, it's a supernatural roller derby uh, comic book and, and film project. And then their eyes get really big and some of them like gasp mm-hmm. and you're like, yes, like that's, you know, you still got a good idea, yeah. you know, when you see that. Yeah. knee-jerk reaction to it so that's been really really cool and i think the the thing that has made me feel really good about the time that's just <laughs> gone by is the people who have been following from the beginning yeah and they come up and they're like you did it you know and i'm like I've got a lot of steps left. And they're like, no, but you did it. Yeah. Like you did it. Uh-huh. And so that's been really yeah. like, whew, okay. Yeah. I think I can pat myself on the back a little bit. Yeah. Are you even thinking about working toward, you know, making the film happen right now? Are you just trying to oh, ride yeah. this wave? Yeah. So basically, I mean, this literally is the comic book is a marketing tool for me. Right. Like, it, I love having a comic book. I'm very proud of it and the work that we've all done on it. Um, and look, if there's like a catastrophe and the world shuts down, like I can say like, hey, I produced a comic book. Mm-hmm. But it is a marketing tool mm-hmm. like for the film. So my the film is still the number one goal for me uh-huh. to do. Um, it's just much more exhausting now thinking about it. And it's so, so what's the hope there is like you hope to like find a production company, that kind of partner now? Um, yeah, I would find a producing partner or, you know, um, who understands like I'm really uh, anti Hollywood ish. Mm-hmm. Like I'm definitely more I I have fallen into this what we call film three. Um, it's, it's removing the middleman, which is the distribution companies and these streamers oh. and all the nonsense that are the gatekeepers and the people and the corporations that come in and, um, take your IP yeah, and give you pennies if right. that, if you're lucky right, and then leave you out in the cold uh-huh. and then they go off and either shelf it and it never sees the light of day, but they own it for as long as that contract is, or they make lots of profit and you never see a dollar. Uh So I'm very anti that establishment for film. Um, And it is, it's interesting. Like the film three community I've, I've met amazing people, amazing people. Um, And we all kind of congregated on Twitter. Yeah. I've met some really amazing, supportive, really established and also like film, just film fans. Like some, some of these people in this community are just, they're just fans of film. Um, but together we're just like, you know, lifting each other up and just hoping for, you know, a a better way Mm -hmm. for filmmakers and creators to, to maintain their IP and their, and their brands within their, it's like creator led communities basically. Yeah. Well, and so is film three, is that like a philosophy or like a collective? Yeah, I would say that. It, yeah, for sure. And the, the group that I, I'm, I'm part of is called uh, the Film Three Squad. Okay. And so, but within that squad, there are offshoots, you know, and, and so people within that group will go off and like create their own little mini communities, you know, but yeah. like 
what's really cool about it all is that we can all come back together, talk about it, and then go out and support all yeah. those little tiny things. Um, and then also like, you know, support the bigger overall vision. Mm. Cause it's really just, we're really just creators who are for creators. Hmm. So, and we just want to see a different way than what's been out there. That's interesting. And so those people will ideally help you get the resources to kind of push the film along. I mean, possibly, just you like know, the, the but it's more of like, yeah, it's, it's really, for me, it's been a really great support group, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, there's, I mean, I'm just meeting some really fascinating people that I never would have had the opportunity to meet in the film community here in Utah. Yeah. And the film community here has been great. Um, and we have a healthy little, you know, film industry here, mm -hmm. but it's also very, uh, clickish and closed off at times mm -hmm. and there's nepotism and there's all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, they're all kind of striving to just, they're either the big studio ones like Yellowstone or, you know, the big movies that come through and they're already owned by the studio corporations. Um, or you have like the locally, uh, the locally made uh, independent films that, you know, God bless them, but like they just want to get on Amazon mm -hmm. or iTunes or what, you know. And I am like, I don't know. I think like, you know, not every film can do can be like a creator-led community, you know, like a like a, a sad little drama about a divorced couple, like might not lend to like a great community, but like a genre film like Hellskate or an alien movie or a superhero or a horror or something or whatever, mm -hmm. like those are all built-in communities already. And like, if you can find your people and get them rallied behind your project and also have them engage and be part of the creative process so that they feel incentivized to go out and amplify and market your project for you. Mm -hmm. um, like that's to me, that's a win-win. Like yeah. why wouldn't you go that route? Yeah. Where do people find Hellskate right now? Is it mostly online? Um, the comic right now is just available at in-person events. Mm -hmm. So mostly locally. I just got back from Vegas though. Um, the roller derby convention. Like any event like that, I try to get into. Um, I'm working on trying to get the online store open so uh, that people can order it and then eventually get the digital version up so that people can download it. But uh -huh. I'm one woman, one uh -huh. woman army and I, I'm not a tech person. So I'm trying to just. Well, and that was kind of what day. Chris told me his philosophy was with his comic is, you know, find me in person and buy it. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely like right now, like, it just was released like August 4th uh -huh. locally. Like that was the first day it was available for sale. Um, I definitely, it like, you know, it needs to go big. So that works fine for artists who just want to maintain their day-to-day -day normal life. But for me, I'm like, no, this, this bitch has got to get out there. <laughs> you know, like it has to be available. I have people asking all the time, mm -hmm. how can, can you send it to me? Can you send it to me? So I will, if they, if they DM me right now, I will, I will oh, ship yeah. it domestically right but yeah so i know that you're also uh you've got a lot of spit what, it out john what, what do we even call them <laughs> like uh passion projects uh <clears throat> activism so i was hoping that maybe you could just kind of tell me like uh what are some of the organizations out there doing stuff you love and yeah i mean doing them i'm definitely more on the animal side uh -huh. of 
like activism. Right. Um, that's definitely more my jam. Um, <clears throat> and so I, the wild horse issue is a, is a very controversial, massive issue in our country. And it, that's a whole, that's like five podcasts to get into that. But it's, it's really important to me. And, uh, I but felt, it's like, there's no more wild horses anywhere. Is that kind of, well, if, uh, if, if, you know, the corporate and very, very well-to-do ranchers have their way, absolutely. They'll get rid of all of them. They're mm. trying to eradicate them all over the country. Um, but, but the Bureau of Land Management has done a very good job over the, over decades of pushing and molding a narrative um, onto the American people and also, in my opinion, into the horse and animal agriculture industries, you know, into like smaller families to believe their flat out lies about what's actually happening. So uh, it's that's a tough beast to go up against. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's ugh, it's so maddening mm -hmm. what's happening with our wild horses and burrows. But I suggest that people who don't know anything, I mean, I think a lot of people don't even realize that we have wild horses still right. in, in our country. And um, and they are a native species to, the, to North America. Um, one could argue that they are a reintroduced native species. Um, but then there are Native American tribes who insist that there have been horses that have never left our continent. Mm -hmm. so um but that's all very very controversial with people mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> so but i i do recommend that if people have questions and want to learn more about the issue and get involved um because we do have some amazing wild horse herds here in utah um and probably the most famous herd uh is the anaki and they are just just about two two and a half hours from us um and so people can go to the American Wild Horse Campaign. A lot of information there. I know some of the people that run that organization, and they are good people. Mm -hmm. They are good people. Um, this is a herd of wild horses that has a name. Yeah, they all kind of have a name. So basically, so that we can track them and and like follow, you know, how yeah how the wild horse population is doing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And they are they are regulated. Um, by, you know, the feds, the Bureau of Land Management was put in charge of them. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, no real checks and balances. And so when you get um, people who work for the BLM who have nefarious ties or it's a follow the money situation. Yeah. As most things are. Uh -huh. um, that's what I tell people who, you know, claim to be horse lovers or have been brought up in horse culture and, and industry who defend the BLM. Um, I just tell them, follow the money. Huh. It'll lead you right to the answers and all the lies you've been told. Yeah. Uh, your way of volunteering is maybe a little less traditional. Like, you know, you have a thing you care about and then you just sort of go do the thing yourself a lot. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and with the horses, like I, I knew that there was an issue. I had been to a public hearing that they are required to hold, um, about roundups. Um, and 
you know, had a little back and forth, little testy back and forth with um, the guy that runs it locally. Um, but, but beyond that, I hadn't, I hadn't gone out to see the horses at that, at that time yet. And um, it wasn't until 2021 that like I was interested in horse photography and, or just photography in general. Um, and so I started going out and photographing these horses and learning this new skill. And I mean, my first trip out there was about a month and a half before that roundup happened that year. And it was devastating. I mean, seeing those horses in the wilds is a completely different experience than seeing horses domestically. Mm -hmm. I mean, domestic horses are still magical, but there is a different level of like spirituality and, and magic that you see out on like a wild range. Mm -hmm. It's, it's incredible. So that's how it kind of started for me. And, um, I think a lot of people get into that horse issue, the wild horses with through photography and, mm. but you know, that's, what's so great about the arts, right? I mean, things can change because of art. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, we're hope there's, you know, I think through wild horse photography advocacy that I think a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of the situation. And I've certainly met some very talented photographers who, you know, they hadn't photographed horses before they were landscape photographers or other wildlife or whatever. And then once they got out and saw a wild horse for the first time, it was like game huh. over. If there's an issue that you're passionate about um, or, you know, like I've, I've always loved horses. You know, I've always loved whales and dolphins and cheetahs and I've always been an animal kid, right? And so that just naturally has led me to like, oh, there's an issue here. Like these dolphins are being slaughtered or these whales are being put in captivity and like, and at first, you know, in society, like you're told like, go to the zoo, they're happy, they're happy, happy, happy. And, you know, go to the marine park, they're so happy. And you see them do their tricks and, and you're just kind of told this story and this false narrative that um, these animals are fine and they're happy and, you know, they're safe from the wild or whatever <laughs> bullshit the story is. Uh -huh. But um, I feel like, if you, you know, if you're truly passionate about it, you dig a little deeper and you're looking at, you're looking at it less from like, you know, I love these animals so much. They're so beautiful. I just want to sit and stare at them all day. Like, okay, but is it good for them uh -huh. for you to sit and stare at this animal all day behind glass? Right. Right. What is their quality of life? Like what in the wild, how, how do they, what is their herd? Uh, mentality like what is their family dynamic what right. do they need to thrive right. right and you start looking further into the science behind and the biology of these animals or whatever mm -hmm. um and then you can start kind of pinpointing like oh there are actually people fighting for this oh okay and then you you know then it then it becomes there's a lot of bullshit organizations right. you know so it's like it's a lot of sifting through the mud and there's a lot of like animal organizations out there that follow the money. They're really not in it for the right reasons, yeah. you know? Huh. Um, 
So, but it's a lot of work to do. But I, I would suggest that, you know, if people just start reading and trying to understand, like definitely in the wild horse activism, you know, it's like, look, we didn't get everything we wanted. And yes, there's horses that will still suffer. But like with this step that we did get them to budge on, they will suffer less or yeah. few of them will suffer. Yeah. Um, you know, and so sometimes I feel like people lose sight of, you know, you have to take those little baby steps because you'll eventually get more and more of what of what you want. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're just constantly fighting each other over it, it's... Right, it's not all or nothing. It's no. progress. Yeah. 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 But okay. with animals, you're running out of time a lot of the time. You know, uh, you don't have an open-ended timeline. You know, there are animals suffering now or animals dying and being killed now. And so I think that's where people emotionally go is... Right. Yeah. No time to waste. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. appreciate it. Yeah.